You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's kind of an odd thing, isn't it? Uh, To be thankful the hurricane's not probably going to hit us, but then you know it's going to probably hit somebody else, and am I supposed to be thankful for that? I don't know, right? Um, And I think that is the case with a lot of things in life. It's like, thank you, Lord, you've blessed me in so many ways, but you know other people who are going through some really tough times at the same time. And so in the body of Christ, we're often rejoicing and celebrating and grieving and loving and serving and giving. At least that's the goal. Uh, I know there are churches um, where on Sunday morning you better be up when you walk in that door have you ever been, uh, you know, it's like everybody's like got their best um, happy mask on for the day. And um, because if you aren't, you know, and it's all, and it's, you know, and th- the message is different than the message. Do you understand what I mean by that? We're going to talk about that a little more today. So we are, I am excited. We're in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, we've been going through this for, this is our seventh week. And we're coming to the end. Next week is going to be probably one of the more famous passages of vulnerability you've heard. It's called the thorn in the flash. Okay? Don't look at the person next to you and say, yeah, that's you. Okay? But maybe it is, but don't look at them. Um, But we're going to kind of look at that and how we all kind of face that kind of reality. We face a reality of pain and agony at time in our lives of disappointment and heartache, um, but of love and joy and peace and forgiveness and community, right? It's not that the glass is half empty or half full. It's that your cup is still running over. And just get a bigger cup. (laughs) Just keep getting a bigger cup. Okay. So we've learned in this series, I think, that no one really likes being vulnerable, and yet everybody hopes other people are open and vulnerable to them. We've learned that confidence is not so much in ourselves, in our abilities, but in the God who gives promises. We've learned also that um, God wants us to not live off kind of hard-hearted or closed off or lose heart in life, you know, give up, but to live wholeheartedly and still openly, even through the difficulties of life. Um, That God um, has an open appeal to trust the gospel that he keeps offering himself to us. We see how reconciliation in this letter is hard work, but it's really what it's all about, relationships. And how um, we have freely received and we can freely give. That's the life of vulnerability. Today, we probably get in some ways to what, why Paul wrote the letter all along. Even more so, he's hinted at it before, but now he kind of nails it down here in chapter 11. And so we're going to hear about just briefly these, quote, super apostles who are, uh, as I put it, smooth-talking, proud-walking, spiritual-stalking <laughs> preachers. They came and stalked out and took advantage of Corinth. Okay. So this is what Paul, he's writing a very open, vulnerable, and kind of gut-wrenching section of this letter. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me 
For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray by a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these uh, super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need... I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. There's almost a sense of a spurned parent who is just distraught over a wayward child in this letter, isn't there? So I'm so thankful I've never had to write a letter like that or have a discussion like that. But some of you may have. It's that kind of agony. And we see it not just here in Paul. We see it all throughout the scriptures. This, is, this comes up in, you know, like the prophet Hosea, which is one long letter, one long love letter, really, from God through Hosea to his people. And he's like, what am I supposed to do with you? God is just in agony over it. So the Bible is filled with this kind of, isn't it interesting how love can be so wonderful and yet also gut-wrenching at the same time? Yeah. So this letter has kind of been building a point all along, and we get this kind of very raw St. Paul today. <clears throat> he gets very personal. So in the second to the last one, I think we're, what we're going to do is look through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and refer to these three points in our message today. How Paul talks about another Jesus, a different gospel, that the Corinthians were into, and then about boasting and what that really reveals, what you boast in, and then the real Jesus, the real gospel. So another Jesus, a different gospel. Um, this week I was reading, and you can look it up in the notes, uh, there's a website called The State of Theology. And in it, a group, uh, uh, two organizations, Legionnaire Ministries and Lifeway Research, every couple years do a survey of Christians, not non-Christians, Christians, churchgoers around the country to find out what they actually believe. And it's usually very, not surprising, but sobering. <laughs> and you can read through the list, as they say, of the top five heresies that are, you know, that Jesus was a created being by God to um, what's called Pelagianism, which I know, who is Pelagius? Well, read up sometime, right? Basically, it's a works righteousness-based theology, right? And um, what you find out is American Christians are very similar to the Corinthians, way too similar. We easily fall for another gospel, 
a different Jesus. A gospel of positive thinking, prosperity, preaching, political power, and human potential, none of which are the gospel. And yet that's what's being proclaimed time and again. Now, it's not quite exactly the same as these super apostles were preaching, but it's so close, you can hardly tell the difference. And you might be asking the question, well, how do we know it's another gospel or a different Jesus, right? How would we know? I mean, Paul says it, but how would the Corinthians know it was different? How would anybody know it's different? I mean, everybody today will say they're preaching the real Jesus and the real gospel, right? The full gospel, this gospel, that gospel, the gospel. And everybody will say they believe the Bible and they're preaching the Bible. Haven't you? I mean, even Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons say that. And most say, hmm, it's a little bit off, right? If not a lot. And I think it comes down to this. And it's not what they're saying all the time. It's what they're selling. It's the, but wait, there's more. Have you ever heard that before? But wait, there's more. You know, it's the infomercial. You know what they're selling. You know what they're trying to get you to do. You know how they're appealing to you. They might appeal to your vanity. They might appeal to your desire for more. They might appeal to something, but they're appealing to you in some way and persuading you in some way to get you to do what they want and that is to buy more. And these super apostles were selling more themselves in their position than they were anything else. And that kind of comes down to this. When you start, you can discern the difference between the real gospel and the real Jesus and a different gospel and another Jesus when it comes to the word boasting. Um, I think I've shared this before, and um, I'm going to share it again. And that is, um, there's a difference between the text, what you're preaching, and the subtext, what you're kind of selling at times. For instance, and this is probably one of the most profound examples I can think of that I experienced. And it happened to be at seminary. Uh, sometimes they call it the cemetery. Um, <laughs> it, it's very scholarly and all, but you can get really a spiritual dryness. And I went to chapel one day, and one of the professors, who will remain nameless, and he is now with the Lord, but he got up and preached, and he was preaching the gospel. I can't remember the text, but I sure do remember the subtext, because he was yelling at us, and he was basically saying, although your sins are forgiven, was you better listen to me because you lazy, no good seminarians don't know anything, and you only get the gospel if you listen to me. That's not the gospel. You've probably heard that before, that type of thing, right? That this is one of the big issues with the, the, uh, the wonderful street preachers we get at FGCU. You've, um, their, their, their subtext is totally different than the, the gospel. So different. So um, the super apostles, what were they selling? Right? What was their subtext? You know, and often um, it comes down to the subtext was really about themselves. Look at how great a follower of Jesus I am. 
Look at how much I know. Look at how powerful. Look at how victorious. Look, and look at Paul. He's so weak. He's ridiculous. He can't even speak well. You think that's the kind of person God uses? No. God's a rich God. God's a powerful God. God's omnipotent, all-wise. He's going to have to use all of those things, and that happens to be me. So Timothy Keller, a few years ago, talked about that in a lot of churches, and he says, we have to watch this out, and I try to remember this. I don't always do a great job of it, but that there are three subtexts, even when any pastor, any church is proclaiming its message or its brand or whatever you want to call it, whatever we're doing, whenever we're witnessing, whenever we're evangelizing, there's three subtexts that can come across, and they probably come across stronger than the actual text itself. So the first one is, look at how wonderful and great and smart and important I am. I'm the preacher. And so if you want to be like me, you better like follow me and listen to me and then buy my book. <laughs> okay, the second is, um, look at how great and wonderful our church is. How cool, relevant, with it, growing, exciting, wonderful. And if you want to be a winner, like we are, you gotta join us, you gotta follow our team, you gotta become a fan, and um, tithe. <laughs> would, it would help. And then the third one is, look at how great, wonderful, and amazing and magnificent Jesus is. And, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything. He's everything. And we're just going to celebrate that. And Keller is right. The only subtext that's worth ever having is the response that anyone hearing any message from us, from Thrive, from me, is, wow. What a savior we have. Look at how great Jesus is. So, boasting. Watch what people boast about. Not what they say they believe, but what they boast about. It's fascinating. I discovered this week looking at this text and then thinking through and then realizing, just looking at this word kakaomai, which is the Greek word for boasting, um, it's Paul's favorite word, by the way. It occurs um, only once in our text in this verse, in 2 Corinthians 11.10, as the truth is in Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. But, you know, it occurs 20 different times, the word about boasting in 2 Corinthians itself, in this whole letter. It probably occurs almost more than almost any other word. And it occurs six times in the book of 1 Corinthians. So 26 times just to this church at Corinth because they had a problem with boasting. And five times in the book of Romans, two times at least in Galatians, and a few times in Ephesians. Paul uses it all the time. And what you find is that he struggles with this. I mean, you notice at the beginning of this, uh, permit me to be a little foolish for a while. He does not want to boast about himself. He doesn't want to focus on himself. He doesn't want to talk about everything that he's gone through. And yet he ends up doing it, not because he wants to in the first place, but because he feels he needs to, because he, he is afraid. He is jealous for this church. He's frustrated. They would so easily fall into the trap of somebody who boasts about themselves. And so he says, permit me to be a fool for a while. I'm only doing it because I love you so much. 
And in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, but we will not boast beyond our limits. He's not going to inflate himself, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. So ka'oamai, or boasting, you find out is a basic attitude Paul sees that religious people have in how good they are at keeping the law. And that he struggled with what he looked with in Judaism and himself before he became a Christian, before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he realized how much he had been boasting about how law-abiding he was, how upright, how pure, how wonderful, how dedicated, because he was focused on the law. And if you hear someone, (laughs) you can hear a lot of people. You probably have heard me. Sadly, this is our human nature to boast about ourselves in one form or another. And we can use Jesus to do it. It's kind of the humble brag as Vicky talks about sometimes. He's, oh, look at me. I, you know, I was praying for 30 minutes today about, you know, this situation and my prayer clock, you know, that type of humble brag. Or how much I've done in Jesus' name or how much I just love Jesus. You know, we love you, Jesus, so much. We're so, and we're so grateful. Who am I focused on, my gratitude or Jesus? Right? We're so grateful. We're so, we're going to follow you no matter where we go. Well, those are good things, but it seems like you're focused on your following than Jesus who's leading you. Um, How godly we are, how wise we are, how smart, how authoritative, how great, how victorious. Jesus talks about people like this. It's pretty harsh, and it scares me. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do you see where the focus is? Look at what I did for you in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ouch. You see, here here it comes. Jesus is not an add-on. He's not an enhancement to your ability. He's not your helper. He's not a booster shot or a vitamin pill or a drug to improve your performance or your status. He doesn't inflate your ego or affirm your agenda. Jesus is not a self-help guru, not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not a progressive. He's not a conservative. He's not a therapist, a moralist, a socialist, a capitalist. Nor does he rubber stamp or bless any of our ideas or thoughts. Jesus is Lord, right? He's king. And he is a king who became a servant and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He is the ransom. He is the savior. He is our text, and he needs to be our subtext, our motivation and our mission, our beginning, our end, our future, our present, our everything. And so here's the paradox. When you have an inflated view of yourself, you're going to always have a a deflated view of Jesus. It'll come across in some form or another. Jesus will be less than a savior. It is when you have a limited, double, 
understanding of yourself, the fact that you can be both things at once, both wanting good and struggling with the bad, and you realize how egotistical and self-centered you are, you'll probably have a higher view of Jesus. A low anthropology, you could call it, creates a high Christology. And that's why Paul, <laughs> it's so funny. You'll see, and next week we're going to see it. He'd rather boast, if anything, about his weaknesses, which doesn't seem like boasting at all, does it? In fact, he's happy. To, he's more comfortable to talk about his inabilities and his struggles. He's very comfortable in saying he's the chief of sinners. He'll say he's the... Uh, Broken clay pot, and the glory of God is inside it. That by grace, he is saved, and that's it. And it's all grace alone. He is also will say all the things that I've ever done. It's, it's basically all the good is basically a dumpster fire. Scubalon, it's worth nothing. Let it be thrown away. He'll talk about how he was a former blasphemer, an, injur uh, an injurious persecutor, murderer, an enemy of Jesus himself. And that's why he would write in Galatians, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified me, to me and I to the world. The quest for his own significance, his own award, status, wealth, honor, greatness, prestige, favor, all that stuff has been put to death. He is now open and vulnerable to the realities about himself, but more to the realness of Jesus. And that's what we really need, is the real Jesus and the real gospel. A real Jesus who understands when you're hurting, because he too has hurt. He's not a superman. He's not immune from the pains of this life. Bullets wouldn't bounce off of his chest. He didn't hover a foot above the ground. He was always absolutely so human, people struggled in some ways to understand, what? Who is this? How is this? He was comfortable to be uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, he could sleep on the ground, not have a place to lay his head, and his body ached the next morning because of it. And what's amazing is that this is your God who takes that place. The real Jesus loved being with Zacchaeus. He celebrates when a lost is found. The real Jesus then means he loves your company. No matter what your feeling or what shape you're in, the real Jesus understands he's grieving with you. He is flesh and blood, and he's also God at the same time. You know, I was looking, and I was looking for a quote on vulnerability this week, specifically about Jesus, not like how we need to be vulnerable. I can find a lot of quotes about vulnerability and how it opens us up to relationships and all that stuff. What amazed me is um, a lot of Christians don't want to go there because I couldn't find a quote saying how vulnerable Jesus was, but that's exact. I mean, born in a manger, a cow could have stepped on him. 
living his life in such a way that he never used his power and divinity for himself? You can't find one time that he decided to do something for himself. Say, I'm going to use my power to make that. You know, that's the temptation of the devil. All the way through to the point where he is on the cross in the greatest agony of all, we have a God who chose to be vulnerable. I can't help it. (laughs) I don't want to be, and I am, but our God who could be absolutely above and beyond all chose to be vulnerable and take my place and to be with me in that. That's how much he loves us. He wants to be with us in our own needs, where we really are. The real gospel. You know, we need it now. We always need it. You don't need to be told how much better you need to improve or if you meet Jesus halfway, he'll meet you halfway. That's, 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 no, he goes to the, he goes lower than anyone. No matter how low you are, Corey Ten Boom said, God is lower, deeper still. And that's why I think um, when we talk about boasting, The only boasting we can do is about him. There's nobody else. There's no other hero in the Bible to talk about, really. It's just pointing to Jesus. Pointing to God's love and his promises. So, um, maybe that's what humility is. It's really kind of stripping away all the boasting in myself or thinking I've got to make a certain you know, mark or I'm going to do... And, and it's just getting all that out of the way and just going like, wow, what a savior we have. I think uh, that's why uh, Charles Spurgeon said, um, grace puts its hand on the boasting mouth and shuts it once for all. Oh, man, we could do with a lot of mouths being shut in our society right now. Oh, just listen. Just listen to your... your uh, to any media, any social media, any version, what you're going to hear is a lot of boasting. Right? And I'm not saying, okay, just grovel. I, so the opposite is you don't need to be down on yourself. That is not the gospel either. Okay? Criticizing yourself, harping on yourself, talking negatively to yourself. No, that Paul doesn't do that either. It's kind of being real and knowing a real Jesus and a real gospel. But really, humility is not thinking of yourself less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's just not focused on it. And so Paul would rather do that. That's his text and subtext. He's struggling right now with the Corinthians in this letter because they just, it's like, oh, what do I, how? And so it's kind of the litmus test for him. No matter how much he has done, the great things, he's not going to boast on those, nor 
just focus on his failure and say, look at what I've gone through for you, kind of the martyr complex. The litmus test for him is to have the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and instead of focusing on himself and what he is and who he is and how great he is, instead to just have a gracious attitude towards God, open to God, giving thanks to God, serving and continuing to go along the way, and keep that focus on Jesus. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And why he writes as well in 1 Corinthians, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this day we, um, <laughs> ouch, Lord, Paul um, gives, takes us to school and shows us how he avoided focusing on himself, and yet he still talked about himself, but in such a way to serve you up more to the Corinthians, to show you, Lord, as the one, the vulnerable, the open, the one who need not do anything for us, who could have walked away from us and could walk away at any time, but you have promised and you have given and you have served and you have sacrificed all, Lord Jesus. You are nothing less than Savior. You're not just a helper or a friend. You are our all in all, Lord Jesus. We pray that for our church and for our lives individually, that if we're going to boast, we're going to boast in you, Lord Jesus. Not about how great we are, but how great you are and how you have worked all things through us, Lord. We pray for right now in, this, uh, in, in the United States, we're seeing a real struggle, I think, Lord, with how to appeal, in a sense, to the younger generations, to all people who are walking away from the faith. But I think, Lord, a lot of that is because they see so much inflated egos and boasting about themselves and how great we are. And the reality is, Lord, we are chief of sinners, just like Paul. It's not about us. It's about you and your goodness and grace and how much we need you, Lord. So somehow, I guess, humble us or get our eyes off of ourselves and our techniques and our can-do strategies and onto you, Lord Jesus, and onto your spirit. We pray, Lord, for your spirit to move in our hearts and lives this day in such a way that you would renew us in your church around the world, Lord, that um, with all, uh, all the excuses and all the scandals and all the other stuff that can get in the way, Lord, that you are still glorified, you are lifted high, that people encounter you. Lord, we do know, um, myself included, of people who have gone through some tough times or are facing it now, Lord. I just pray for my mother. Um, you know she's waiting to be with you now. It's a matter of days or weeks. We commend Arlene into your care. We lift up those who are grieving, Lord, of lost uh, loved ones. And Lord, we want to weep with those who weep. And yet rejoice because we know, Lord, your saving grace. We lift up, Lord, those who need your healing touch. 
We lift up Otto to you today, Lord God. We lift up um, Ruth. We lift up all of us who, Lord, uh, we know our weaknesses, but we know, Lord, that your strength is perfected. Your grace is sufficient. Teach us, Lord, to rely on you evermore and tether to you, holding on to you, boasting in you, Lord, trusting in you. We know your strength works in our lives. Your love, your mercy, your grace is ours. Lord God, um, we, uh, we don't know what tomorrow brings. And as good as uh, weather services are and <laughs> algorithms have become, Lord, and all the data that we can collect, we know so little. We're so limited. Lord, we thank you for what we've seen thus far about the track of Ian. We pray for those who may be in its path that you protect and that you help us to reach out and serve people in their needs, Lord. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would, in your mercy, in your wisdom, be merciful. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for all who are gathered here and those who are online. We ask that you'd unite us together in one, one unified, loving community that shows your glory in how we live, that keeps pointing to how beautiful you are, how great you are, Lord Jesus. Prepare our hearts now to receive um, receive you personally as we will celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments. Lord, we know <laughs> we can't really inflate ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we just deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, but it's when we confess our sins, when we confess our doubleness, our limitedness, our self-centeredness, Lord. You forgive our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So prepare us, Lord, to openly, vulnerably receive you as the greatest gift of all. And bless us too now as we respond to your goodness and grace in lives of thanksgiving and service by offering ourselves with our offerings this morning. All this we lift up to you, Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, in your name, amen. <laughs>